Ken is going to read our scripture from 1 Corinthians 14, and, uh, and then we'll carry on. Thank you, Ken. Since this scripture ref- um, draws all of chapter 13 in by reference, I'm going to take one verse backwards. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gifts of prophecy, gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries in his, with his spirit, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church might be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as a flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll be just speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you're praising God with the Spirit, how can anyone who finds himself among those who do not not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you're saying? You You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for the believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers and not for unbelievers. So, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and some who do not understand, 
or some unbeliever come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner, and he will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Thank you, Ken. So there's a man, and um, he had a pet octopus. And he, um, he kept his octopus actually in a bath. He loved it. In fact, he loved it so much, he never went on holiday because he's, he's afraid that no one could look after his octopus the way he looked after his octopus. And his, but his wife was getting, she was getting over it. She says, well, we never go anywhere. Can you just get someone? You know, John's offered, your friend John's offered to look after the octopus. And the man didn't want to, but uh, at last he relented and so he decided he would train John and then the, the next long weekend they'd go on holiday. So John came along and he started training him. He says, the first thing I need to tell you is if, if it goes wrong, remember in the tool shed there's a spade. There's a spade in the tool shed. Anyway, so he taught John. John came. He says, this is how you do it. You get the talcum powder. Talcum powder the floor. You get the octopus out. Put him on top of the talcum powder on the floor. You pull out the plug. You swish around the bath. You put in the plug. You run the water. Get the octopus back in the bath. Sweep up the talcum powder in the bin. Easy. So, John was trained, went off on the long weekend. Uh, John came in a little bit nervous, but he went through the whole process. Got the talcum powder, octopus out, cleaned the bath, uh, plug in, run the water, octopus back in. Easy. Next day, comes in, a bit more confident. Okay, talcum powder. Octopus out, water out, clean the bath, plug in, water. Octopus back in, talcum powder in the bin. Easy. Third day, runs in because uh, uh, his wife, John's wife, is wanting to go shopping. She's in the car, she's beeping the horn. Runs in, gets octopus out, puts it on the floor, starts clean. Oh, no! Forgotten the talcum powder. And so anyway, so he, uh, he's got this octopus stuck to the floor, no talcum powder. And so he, uh, he tries to get a few arms, he gets two, three arms, four, five, bleh, loses the octopus. Tries again, he, he um, goes outside, tries to rush it by surprise, comes in, he gets six arms, and then drops the octopus. He remembers. Spade in the shed. So he runs out, gets the spade, and then he comes in with the spade and tries to get the spade, and he gets right up to seven arms and then loses it. He's starting to panic. He says, I'm going to kill his octopus. Well, just at that moment, his, the owner comes back, and he rushes out. He says, oh, I've done a terrible thing. I've got him the talcum powder. And the owner says, well, did you remember about the spade? 
And the shield, he says, yeah, I've been trying this bait. It's still not working. He says, what you've been doing? He told him what he's been doing, coming around and trying to get all the arms. He says, nah, I'll show you what you do. So um, the owner comes, gets a spade, bangs the octopus on the head. The octopus goes, Ugh! <laughs> puts all his arms, grabs the octopus, puts it back in the bath. <laughs> so the title of this message is Tools. <laughs> tools. But what are the tools we use to minister to God and to humans? And from this passage... I want to look at three. Uh, last week, chapter 12, we looked at body parts. Here's some more body parts. The first one is heart. 14 verse 1. Follow the way of love. Faya te aroha. This is the foundation. Love. Love from the heart. Verse 3. But he who prophesies... prophesies, speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. It's wanting the very best for people, for their strengthening, for their encouragement, for their comfort, wanting the best for each and every person. Uh, Having a heart for people. 14 verse 12, try to excel in gifts, that build up the church. Again, it's wanting the best for the collective community of faith. It all starts from the heart. So follow the way of love. Seek to strengthen and encouragement, comfort. Try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. So love for individuals and the collective, the body of faith, the local church. And sometimes that love is tough love. Uh, I know a guy, and after he'd been married a while, he had this habit of just um, getting into financial trouble and borrowing off his dad. And uh, one day he said his dad said, I'm not going to lend you any more money. And he said, oh, it's tough, but it's actually what they needed. They needed to grow up. (laughs) So sometimes love can be tough. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's been real tough. I remember having a, a disagreement a few years ago with a person, and, um, and then we, there's a son from church going to the Marine Reserve, and, and we were both there. But I remember seeing him taking particular care of my son, that even though him and I were not seeing eye to eye, that he would not allow that to affect his love, that he... Uh, Strove to love. He was determined to love. Tough love. Verse 34. A visitor sometimes saying hard things, uh, confronting things, also is love. And so, verse 24. A visitor may be convinced of their sinfulness, their separation from God, and that will lead to their repentance and awareness of God. So it, it kind of appears harsh, but actually, it's a form of love. So the heart is the first tool. The second tool is the mind. The mind. I have a cartoon at home in this book. And uh, it's two friends. You can't see their faces. You can see their backs. And they're talking to each other in this cartoon. And uh, one friend, he says, 
this. He says, apparently, if you believe the infomercials, there are lots of people who believe that their lives would improve. If only their buttocks would be firmer. His friend replies to him, "Ah, buns of steel, minds of putty. But God has given us minds as well as buns. It's what you know. It's wonderful uh, to improve our buns, but also our minds. Verse five. Paul, the writer, says, "I would rather speak five intelligible words than ten thousand words in a tongue. I want to say things that people understand." And part of our challenge is the dominance that the image, that images, has, uh, has taken over word, over the word, over words, of style over substance. You know, that, they're saying that a picture is worth a thousand words is almost taken as scripture these days. But what about a, the fact that an image can be basically fiction, that a, a photo can be photoshopped, that uh, a picture can be manipulated and, and is open to idol worship. The late playwright, he was Irish, George Bernard Shaw, he died in 1950, and he was asked what he thought about the, the wonderful uh, signs on Broadway. And he said this, he said, it must be beautiful if you can't read. But God has given us minds as well as eyes. Minds to think, to consider, to muse over. Uh, Romans 12, as we've heard today. Do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You know, that doesn't mean that our Communication should always be wordy and academic. One preacher teaching um, preachers how to, how to preach said this to his students. The reason I study is not to be clever, it is to be clear. Not to be clever, but to be clear. After Nehemiah rebuilt the wall, there was only stage one. By, ne- by chapter 8, the wall was built. But Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah is not over. The wall was built. And then Nehemiah went about rebuilding worship, reinstituting worship. And he, he had some helpers. He had uh, Ezra, the priest, and some uh, Levitical priestly helpers. And it says this, Nehemiah 8, verse 8. Nehemiah 8 verse 8, Ezra and some uh, Levite priestly workers, they did this. They read the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Making it clear, giving the meaning so the people could understand the meaning, what was being read. If you go home and you say, oh, isn't Carl a clever dicky? You know, I have failed. What I want you to do is to be able to go home and, say, and open up the scripture and say, of course, of course, that's what it means. That's clear. That's what I want. 
the tools, our hearts, our minds, and thirdly, our spirits. And I don't want to say that it's all, all cognitive, all heady stuff. That's not it. That's not it. We have a tool of our spirits as well. And, and um, you know, it's not all about philosophies, about theology, about other E words. There also needs to be that spiritual connection with God. We have a tool of our spirits, the Holy Spirit to minister to God and others. And, and at times it's quite hard to define, you know, um, in normal words. And uh, people talk about it like feeling, like uh, emotion. And, and many times I see, and the worship team will see it as well, people are kind of tearing up and they're getting emotional and, and things are going on. And um, even people that are not used to church, and they, they find it hard to explain it, describe it, because it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing that's happening. And they'll say things, people that are not used to church, they'll say things ah, like it was, it was really emotional or I was really moved, I was impacted. Because, you know, it's hard to describe it because it's a, it's a spiritual thing. Our spirits to the spirit of God. Connecting. And I just, I need to um, digress a bit because we need to, I believe, define two words, two biblical words here because... People have different definitions. And those two words are prophecy, the word prophecy, and the word tongues. And uh, what does prophecy mean in the New Testament? Most often people think of prophecy as foretelling, of like future telling. And sometimes in the New Testament it is that. There's that predictive element. But often also it's foretelling. Not only foretelling, but forth telling. It's uh, boldly speaking out God's word. That's prophecy in the New Testament as well. It doesn't have to just be about the future. Uh, one scholar said this, New Testament, called Bloomberg is his name, New Testament prophecy therefore includes conventional preaching where the preacher had a sense of being gripped and convicted by the Spirit about his or her message, and more, as well as more kind of spontaneous, unpremeditated utterances. So there's that of just like preaching of this is God's word for us today, as well as, and that's sometimes prepared, as well as just spontaneous, this is what the Lord is saying now. So it can be uh, uh, foretelling as well as forth-telling. Um, another writer said this, David Hill was his name, Christian prophets are those that have grasped the meaning of scripture, perceived it and its relevance to life of the individual, the church, and declare that message fearlessly. Their prophecy is it's not on par with scripture, uh, and their exercise of the gift, like any spiritual gift, is subject to error and misinterpretation. So, Prophecy, biblical prophecy, New Testament prophecy, tongues. So tongues, they're kind of like two types in the New Testament. The gift, it can be the gift of a, 
uh, a language that is not known to the speaker, but it is known to those that are hearing it. And there's an example in Acts chapter 2, verse 11, where the Holy Spirit comes and the people are speaking tongues and the others in the area, they're hearing their own language, even though from different parts of the world. And so that's one uh, part of the gift of tongues. But here in Corinthians, this style of tongues is what's called glossolalia. And it's uh, often like a, a, a burbling, a bubbling up of words as you pray, as you meditate on God uh, in the Spirit. Uh, for some people, tongues just comes out by accident. They're just in their room or whatever, and then, and then it sort of uh, bubbles up out of them. For others, they have actually pursued it and prayed for it, or people have prayed for them, and that gift of tongues comes to them. Uh, others, don't, others, other believers, believers in God that God loves, don't even, they don't speak in tongues. For instance, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 30, Paul asked, do all speak in tongues? Um, so they don't, but they're still loved by God. Paul's advice in this passage, chapter 14, is to use tongues at home as a way of praying, spirit to spirit, or if it's used in the congregation, make sure there's an interpretation that goes on with it. But uninterpreted tongues in a large gathering can just at times appear weird, and it's not particularly helpful, Paul's saying unless it's interpreted. And so it can actually be counterproductive for the reason that it was given by God. You know, tongues is given by God is to make communication clearer. But when it gets uh, out of kilter, it can actually have the opposite effect. It's like in Africa, uh, at the market, one of the main things sold in the markets were uh, sunglasses. And particularly the young men, they love these sunglasses. And they actually loved the fact that they had a new pair of sunglasses. And so they would buy them and they'd keep the sticker on in front of one of the lenses. And so it was actually counterproductive that these sunglasses, uh, for the intention of trying to see better, had this big blob of uh, advertising that they couldn't see through. And tugs, tongues that are publicly and uninterpreted can actually have that same effect. It cannot be all that helpful unless it's interpreted, but certainly in terms of private devotion, it's, it's real helpful. So, if in a big gathering the best practice is spoken tongues and interpretation, or sung tongues and interpretation, this is probably the meaning of verse 15. I will sing with my spirit, I will also sing with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, I will also sing with my mind. Uh, at times you get this kind of false separation of mind and spirit. So we'll hear things like, I'm not really into theology, I'm just into the spirit of God. Well, theology is the thinking of God, the study of God. So that, you know, if we say that, it's like, uh, I'm not into thinking about God, I'm just into the spirit of God. Well, that's not the way it works. You know, those things go together, the spirit and the mind. God wants you 
uh, to think. He helps you to think, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not only to think, but to think his thoughts. And it's not one or t'other, it's both. Not mind or spirit, but mind and spirit, both. Which is why Paul says, 14 and 15, I'll pray with my spirit, I'll pray with my mind, I'll sing with my spirit, I'll sing with my mind. Both. As I prepare messages, I'll, I'll, I'll do a lot of study in, of books and scripture and, and other scholars' thoughts. And I pray and I think how it all fits together. But also I'll go for walks and I'll pray. And I'll pray in tongues sometimes. And often, you know, sometimes people think I'm just going for a walk, uh, working on my buns, but I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm working on my spirit as well. I'm trying to, you know, get from God, from the Holy Spirit, what he wants us to hear this Sunday. So it's that combination of mind and spirit, both. And um, I don't, actually, I don't feel I'm, I'm particularly good at it. I'm trying, I'm getting better. Sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't. I do believe actually there's people here in this room that are better at it than me of hearing from the Spirit. What the, um, and that's why, of course, we need the body. You know, we're good at different things. We have different gifts. God gives each of us different gifts for the benefit of us all. What is our goal? What is our goal? Right at the end, verse 25, it says this. Um, great verse, it says, It's true. Uh, amongst you is God. He pono, It's true. What I've been hearing, it's true. God is amongst you. God is amongst you. That's our goal. That's our goal that, uh, that we feel that God, that we know that God is amongst us. Heart, mind, and spirit. These are our tools. So let's use them for the advancement of his kingdom. Heart, mind, and spirit. Amen.